Hi, this is your host, Manoj Krishna. Welcome to another episode uh, from the Human Wisdom Project. In today's podcast, I'm joined by Alastair Ross, who runs his own human resource company and is a communications expert and describes himself as being interested in people. Welcome, Alastair. Yes, hello, thank you. So today we're going to talk about problems in general, not a particular problem, and we're going to explore the subject of how the human mind approaches problems and how we can do that with intelligence. Right. So first question is, how do you know something's a problem? Well, that's always a very interesting situation. And I think, you know, from my um, viewpoint, and that leads into one of the main issues about that, which is perspective. Yes. Um, we have a problem. So that may be a problem that impacts on me. Yes. Or my current view of the situation. But is that a problem for you? Yes. Yeah, so the same situation you can see is a problem for one person, but not a problem for another person. So it's clear that it's always a matter of perspective. Yeah. And I think there's a, I think there's a few more layers to that, though. Um, and when we talk about perspective, it, and I, I talk in in pictures because I find that that helps people to, to grasp it. So um, if we look at a coffee cup, mm. uh, when I'm dealing with people and trying to get them to think about situations differently, and I can see my coffee cup at the moment, and I can see the handle on it. But if I actually stood up and took three or four paces to the left and looked at that coffee cup, I might see just a cup that doesn't have a handle. So yes. how, do, how do I know what I'm seeing is the same as what the other person's seeing? Yes. And I think that's a really important starting point, which is the perspective. Yes. And in looking at problems, sometimes we actually need to just stop yes. and move three paces to the left. Yes. Okay. And, and then and, open up. And ask system. yourself, is it a problem? Is it a problem? <laughs> it may not be a problem because you see the mind is, as we know, reactive and it just automatically responds to situations without our awareness um, and we seem to have very little control over that process so the first step is to ask yourself is there another way of seeing something is it actually a problem yeah and I, and I think we're sometimes not very good at that no we we allow ourselves to just um we either shy away from it mm. or we're assertive and we and we tackle it head on mm. um putting both feet first sometimes, which isn't always the right thing to do yeah. either. And I think that, you know, when we're looking at stuff, taking a moment, mm. just a moment to pause mm. and actually look at what's in front of you is a big step forward yeah. for people. Because in that moment, your intelligence can have room or space to work and operate. You can ask a question, but you need to begin with an awareness that your mind is reactive. Yeah, and I don't think people. I don't think people think about that. No, they're not, not aware of it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure they're aware of how the, the mind works. I think that's part of it. But I also don't think people are necessarily very self-aware. No. And they don't take time to reflect on things. No. Um, I've, you know, we we've talked before, and I've talked about the fact that I'm very reflective. So. Mm you know I'll go away after we've finished this and I'll think how did that go mm. what's that but could we have done that better mm. could we have we missed something that we could have imparted that could have helped other people lots of people don't do that they just move from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to yeah, the next it's just thing. because the mind's reactive yeah. so first thing is to wake up to that 
But this other way we could approach a problem is ask yourself, is it in my zone of control? Well, that's an interesting uh, way to look at things as well. Because the... if it's not in your zone of control, why are you stressing? Do, can you influence American politics if you're sitting in England, for example, or the other way around? <laughs> you may not like the American president, but, but hey, people... what can you do about it? People like to get animated about things, though. They like to they like to seize on uh, yes. perspectives or discussions. I think you know the element of great debates, great, but we don't we don't debate. We argue. Yes, and also people can get really distressed when and if you just ask yourself, is it in your zone of control? You realize, hey, if we can't if we can't physically influence it then that should give us a perspective that the discussion we're going to have is about discussion. Yes. As opposed to about doing something about it. Which is not to say you should ignore things, but you can find an intelligent way to respond and still engage with whatever needs to be done, but not from a point of view where you're really distressed emotionally and that, in fact, interferes with your ability to do anything about it. Yes, because we... <laughs> Because we can't step away from from that emotion. To do that, we have to consider the situation. I'll tell you another story, which is how do we take the heat out of the conflict? Okay. So if you have a pan of milk on mm. a gas ring mm. and you're sitting looking at it, it goes from very little activity to being about to overflow very, very quickly. Mm. Um, the easiest way to resolve that is to take the heat out of the situation. Yes. Just, right? get, just, just Yeah, step away. Lift it off. So using that analogy from a people perspective is how do we distance ourselves from that conflict? So yes. we can walk away from it. We could find an intelligent way to try and engage with the person. But or you not... could say to them, hey, can we talk about this later? Yeah. And we're, we're buying a bit of time. Yeah. And later, when you come round to it, all the heat's gone. In fact, people may not regard it as a problem anymore at all. That's right. So, so when we come back to, is it a problem? And is it in our zone of control? Again? The other way when you face a problem is you've got to ask yourself, does it need acceptance? Because so if, if you, for example, if you have, say, your son's marrying a girl you don't like, and if you put your, start getting involved in that and like, try to change things, <laughs> you might just lose, in trying to solve one problem, you might actually create a much bigger one, which is your son might just stop talking to you, and so on. Uh, which, which happens with far too much frequency, I yes, think. Yes, that's what um, I mean. So sometimes problems just need acceptance. Can you think of an example? Um, well, there's certainly the situation where if you've been, uh, been to the doctors and unfortunately you've had a diagnosis of some illness, hmm. are you going to accept that? And having accepted it, then explore it. Because mm. I think we don't explore problems enough. I don't think we spend enough time looking at them. But if we accept that, mm. and we accept that that's a fact, mm. then we can spend the time looking behind it mm. and, and digging down in the layers. If we don't accept it, then our mind closes. Yes. And therefore it's not receptive to information. And, and, and I, think, I think from the emotional and the reactive perspective, that can sometimes happen where somebody's given some news and then they don't hear any of the solution they don't hear any of the information and they don't hear that although they've got a diagnosis all they hear is that word yes 
and yeah. that word is enough for their their brain to shut down to the fact that it's minor, it's it's benign. It, you know, it's all the other information that comes but from it. Can the be moment missed. you accept something, that's when you can start having space to think of solutions. Yeah, and, and we do need to create that space, and, yes. and then we need to be sensible about trying to solve the problem. And Einstein, I think it was, was attributed to saying. You can't solve a problem with the same thinking that got you there in the first yes. place. Now, if you think of big companies, I mean, take Kodak and all these big companies who knew, or Blockbuster, you know, the video company. Blockbuster, yes, a great. So they all knew that streaming video was coming and their business model wasn't sustainable. But they could not accept the fact of the problem because the acceptance would require so much emotional you know, upheaval and, and all that. So sometimes we just don't want to accept. I mean, as a surgeon, I saw that uh, when a patient comes with a complication. Yes. The implications of that are so the mind is uh, driven or almost tempted not to, to ignore the problem. Oh, no, you don't have an infection. <laughs> because if you do have an infection, it means I need to take you back to surgery and take the whole implant out and... So we'll just try antibiotics for a week. You know, actually, deep down, that's the wrong thing to do. The right thing is to accept the problem head on and then tackle it. We, we have to be prepared to recognise that we're not always right. And I think from an emotional perspective, that's very hard for many, many people. Yes. And it doesn't mean that we're completely wrong. We're just not right about that one particular element. Yes. But do you realise how... The mind always looks at things as either right or wrong. Oh, if it was only black or white. Well, black and white, right or wrong, well, look good at or green. bad. How, how many colours and shades of green are there? Yes, you know, it's, yes. uh, it's the same with those different shades. And sometimes things are not right or wrong. They just are what they are. <laughs> yeah. And some of those things we can't change. Yes, yes. So someone says, I want to leave you. I've been in a relationship with you. You can't change that. It causes emotional turmoil and all of that stuff. But, you know, sometimes things just need to be uh, accepted, I guess. But moving on, next question is, we could ask, how bad is it? Because the yeah. mind tends to catastrophize. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's very easy to go to uh, DEFCON 1, as they call it. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's very easy to do that. And, you know, I think it was, uh, I think it was Paul McGee from the Sumo Guy who, who talked about this scale of 0 to 10, where yeah. 0 is it's really quite insignificant and 10 is, you know, death. Hmm. And, you know, looking at things, sometimes when I'm faced with issues and I go, okay, let's, has anybody died? Hmm. How serious is this? Let's just bring it into context. And that brings us right back to the beginning, though, because some people see things as extremely serious and other people see things as very minor. And why is that? Part of it's their experiences, yes. their conditioning, um, which is a terrible word, but it is actually their influences from their, their parents and the people they've grown up with and the schools they've been in affect our decision-making and the experiences we learn from. Because our experiences are there like a book on a shelf to, yeah. to be drawn upon. But it's also and, what's happened today. And well, we can have, we can have that bad day. You, yes. know, you know the days yeah. have, where you, you get up and everything goes wrong. Yes. Yeah. You, you've woken up late, the alarm clock didn't go off. Or there's been a power cut. Or you can't find your car keys. Uh, the kids causing you problems. Lunch isn't made. Yes. And it seems to gather its own momentum. 
and becomes a bigger problem than it actually is. Yes. So, first thing we could do is when we encounter a problem, ask yourself, A, how bad is it? Mm. And secondly, I've always found this really helpful to zoom out and yeah. see things from a distance. And then you realize, hey, losing the car key, we'll sort it, the flat tire, whatever it might be, there's always a solution. And we just have to do that without getting emotionally distressed. And that's about very it. easy to do with a mouse click on your computer. Yes. <laughs> it's a lot harder when we're stuck in the moment. Yes. Um, with that emotion and that fire in our belly about something that we feel is really important yes. and we feel the need to make our case. Yes, but on a more serious note, this ability to zoom out, which you need to train your mind to do away from the problem beforehand, right, could also help prevent suicide. Because many of the suicides are an acute reaction to an acute event. Yes, it's rarely, a, it's rarely a single thing, but it's an accumulation that brings them to that, that single point. And if you could just zoom out in that situation and realise, actually, your health is still good. You know, your family still loves you. There's a lot you have to be grateful for. And this is a, you know, a problem, yes, but in the context of your whole life, it will, you can deal with it. It will pass. Yeah, and, and there are lots of situations that you look at. So take your, um, your contestant show where people have spent and, and they come on and they're singing a song, for example. Mm. They turn around to the camera and they say, I've spent my whole life dreaming of doing this. Mm. And they're 16 years old. Yes. And, and of people like ourselves who are a little bit longer in years, uh, although still young of mind, we can see that that's just the start of their life. Mm. So it is about that context and that, that time. Just zooming out. I um, mean, for example, every year around the country, there's so many young people who take their lives because they fail an exam. Yes. And you see? It's, a, it's, it's one single event, an acute event you talked about. For them, it, it becomes all-consuming. Their world, you yeah. see. But if you just zoomed out, you'll realise, hey, I failed an exam, I'll sit it again. Some of that, though, is about the support they get. To them, that's their problem. So if we think about it, the problem is I have to pass this exam. If I don't pass this exam, my world come to an end. Yes. Right? And that's, that's the way that they're thinking and the way their brain's allowing that to feed upon itself. Um, that's very difficult to get the emotion out of that situation. Yes. Not easy at all. That's why we need to consciously zoom out. And yes, I... And that's something that you have to train yourself to do. You have to, before. It's like learning to swim. Well, I'll give you another example. If you, if you look at firefighters, for example, um, and they don't attend a fire 24-7. You know, fires happen when they happen, and dreadful, you know, has its own control. But they train and train and train and train. They spend their time at work training. Mm. The reason they train is because when they get into the situation and the stress factors kick in, which they do mm. because... That's what happens, right? Mm. The, the, um, all the factors, all that experience that's coming at them start to mess around and, and create situation. Their training kicks in, and the expression is their training kicks in and they do the job. Yes. And it's only afterwards that they think about it that then that emotional side takes over. Correct. So we have to get to a position where we can train ourselves to be able to cope with the moment, and then we've got time, we've got breathing space. Yes. We've got that pause where yes. we can turn around and consider and then weigh everything up. Yes. 
So and that's the context side. Yes, of and all that requires a degree of reflection and self-awareness. Everything we're talking about really is boils down to that. But let me ask another question. When we encounter a problem, there are two ways the human mind typically responds. One is it's reactive. So it scours its own database for a solution. And the response comes from our conditioning and we say, that's the solution. But because it's coming from our conditioning and we're attached to anything from our past, yes. we become attached to our opinion. Now, what's the, what's the intelligent way, do you think, of dealing with problems? Because that doesn't seem very intelligent. No, it's not. Um, and I think, I think there's a couple of things. The first one is that we have to be prepared to overcome our own belief system yes. and understand that actually whatever we want to achieve or do or anything we can. But I think there's an element of us being prepared to accept that we might not always be right, that what we've been told in the past might not always be right. So we have to explore. And that's the other key thing, which is, okay, I'm faced with a situation and I believe it's this. Mm. So I believe it's black. Mm. Right? I want other people to show me and to explore whether or not, in fact, it is black. Yes. And it may prove that it is. Yes. Okay. But science would never have evolved if we'd gone, okay, it's my opinion, that's it, right? We've always had to challenge and say, is there something else? Is there, is there something else we need to look at? Is there a different way we can behave? Yes. Um, spiritually or scientifically or whichever way you want or to Or another way of looking at things. And to do that, we have to, we have to be prepared to develop. Again, this is part of our training. Or my, my belief is about that we train ourselves. Is one, we have to listen. Mm. And two... We need to ask questions. But also begin with the realization that your initial answer to that problem comes from your conditioning, which you are not aware of, and you're normally attached to it. And everyone else is going to be attached to their particular point of view. So if you have a boardroom, five people around a table, five people have different opinions, and they're all fighting with each other to say, well, I'm right and you're wrong. That's so common. Because in those situations, at boardroom level, for example, it's all about their status and their ego. Yes. It isn't actually about solving the problem. But they're also genuinely convinced that their perspective is correct. We all are. But the intelligent mind perhaps realises that that may not be the case and is able to look at things from different points of view, is able to look at things from other people's point of view. I've spent my years so far in having conversations and discussions with people and I will welcome anybody's point of view. Yes. And when I go away from that point of view, I come away with a little bit of their, their viewpoint. Yes. Which actually changes and evolves my viewpoint. So the next time I have a discussion, there may be an element of what was said by that person within my argument and it changes and evolves. But that takes um, an open mind. It takes, takes somebody who's, who embraces um, knowledge and learning and change for the, the sake. And there's a great expression, I think it was my brother who said it to me years ago, he said, the leopard never changes its spots. And I said, actually, that's wrong because we all change, we all evolve, and we only need to look at the last 10 years. You know, it's a very short period of time in the lifespan of humanity. 10 years, the world has changed considerably. Of course it has. Never mind going back a thousand years or further back. You know, we, we, 
We're evolving and changing and adapting and learning new things. And the inquisitive mind is exciting to me. I like to learn new things. I like to explore stuff. And when you have that boardroom, if you can take the ego out of that situation and say, it's about solving the problem. Yes. It isn't about My opinion. Me, yes, yes. Right? It's about the problem. Yes. And I think that takes, um, and I'll probably uh, get criticised for this, but I think it takes a grown-up to be able to have those conversations. I think it takes a, an in, a mind that's self-aware, that's open to learning. See? Because most minds are not open to learning. Most people have minds that are not open to learning. But moving on from that also, from what you said, the solution usually lies in studying the problem. Yes. So if five people around the table left their own, understood this conditioning process and their attachment to their opinions, parked that to one side and actually studied the problem, more often than not, all five would come up and say, that's the solution. And it would be the same solution because typically the answer always lies inside the problem, more often than not. Yes, in, a, in every answer, there's the next question. Yes. Whereas, and, and if you look politically, of course, around the world, politicians will bring their particular ideologies to solve a particular problem. Yes, and you get the table thumping and yeah. all the rest of it. But it's, it's often not the right solution no. because they haven't actually addressed the problem. They're so attached to their own ideology, whatever it might be, left, right, centre. And, and they, with politics, they have a platform that allows them to, to pontificate about that particular issue. Yeah. But just this ability to study a problem. You know, if a car breaks down, you don't bring your ideology to solve the problem. You actually look to see what's wrong <laughs> And once you find out what it is, then it's, it's relatively easy. You know, the solution presents itself. So moving on to another question, which is, you know, problems have so many layers, right? Oh, the, yeah, it's like an onion. Like an onion. <laughs> like an onion. Just keep peeling the onion. You know, so for example, uh, you know, your wife or girlfriend kicks off about how untidy the kitchen is and really uh, is really having a go at you. And you start responding and saying, well, actually, I tidied this up and... You left the coffee cup last week. But that's not the problem, right? The actual problem is that she might be unhappy for something else. For something else. And the issue is that the minute there's a criticism, most people go straight into a defensive mode yes. and start to justify their position. And it comes back to this, this pause, this reflection, this moment of saying, let me just breathe. Let me just breathe for a moment. Mm. Um, and I think our, our pace of life is so fast um, and and so grab the next thing and this self-gratification that we struggle with that we don't actually go, whoa, just time out. Yes. For two minutes, just think about what's going on here. And to go beyond the words and say, what is that person feeling? And what's behind that feeling? And to actually have empathy, which is really, which requires your own mind to be quiet, I think. Yes. Because if you've got a mind that's noisy, reactive, defensive, you can't see that. You can't have empathy. Because it clouds. It clouds the mind. It's like a mist that comes down. Yes. So maybe the kitchen is an issue. Or it could be the person's feeling that you've not made time for them. And they just need a hug. And they need that time. You know, they're in organizations too. What is the problem? It could be multi-layered, you see. The real problem could be deeper down. But a lot of it comes from communication. Um, you know, manager, I, I, there, 
there are so many things that could be resolved by communication. Mm. We're very fortunate as a species to not only communicate, because all, all species communicate in their own way, but we communicate and articulate and uh, debate, and we have a, a difference in the way that we think about things, mm. right? Never mind the fact that we can actually, now that we write things down, we can share information with other people that other animals have to be necessarily in a one-on-one contact with other people. So there is a... There is a collective nature of what, where we can spread and, and reach out to more people. If we can communicate in a better way with other people, it becomes a lot easier. And I think we are losing the art of talking to others. Well, I think, again, it's because we're not self-aware. Because when we speak, we're not aware of how it's going to be received, for example. Or we're concerned about how it's going to be received. And we don't say anything. So, or we, we might be afraid. <laughs> well, we, we, we don't like being criticised. No. But if we take, if we're open to criticism, and so long as we learn to give criticism in a constructive way rather than a destructive way, and we're prepared to accept that criticism as not being criticism, mm. but being something that's there to help us what think can, what can and I reflect. Learn? What can I learn from it? How can I be better? I should be grateful for it. And we, yeah, absolutely. And we need to, we need to train ourselves to be receptive to that. Yes. Every, everything that we do, experience, and every discussion we have, which is somebody else's knowledge and in some cases their wisdom, but certainly information, all of that goes into a mix that allows us to consider how we're going to progress. So when we come back to the problem... If we sit and discuss the 15 or 16 different ways that problem can be resolved, there may be elements from those five members of the boardroom, to use the analogy we were talking about before, you may end up with a blend. So there's a little element of what that person said here and a little element of that person there. And it's about whether or not you create environments that encourage that. And you have a mind that's open to learning. So we can encourage people to do that all the time. Yes, but it requires training. It, does it require requires time. your mind to be self-reflective and to have understood all this beforehand. And that's a big element of the individual being prepared to start that journey for themselves. Yes. But I think we also have a responsibility to utilise our skill and communication in helping other people to get to that point. No, we do. But to go back to the question, which is often to ask yourself in any situation... What is the real problem? Is the problem what I'm seeing? <laughs> yes, of course. Or actually, or that, I, that is apparent, someone's upset with me, or is there, is there another problem that's behind that? But we can only get to that by peeling the onion. By communicating. And that involves us asking questions and listening to what's being said. Yes. Not just uh, hearing. Yes. No. You know, but genuinely listening. Yes. And having empathy. Now, let's end this with podcast with one other question, which is in solving a problem, to ask yourself, are we, what other problems are we creating down the line? Oh, the, the marvelous cause and effect. Yes. Yeah, so we. Uh... Because you're so focused on that particular solution because it impacts you personally that you don't ask this question as to what problems is that going to create down the line. Well, the, the classic example, uh, just solving the food shortage after the Second World War. Hmm. The solution was to create 
to start putting corn syrup in, in food because it allowed for a, a, an increase in production of food. Uh, changing bread from having four main ingredients to having 14 ingredients, but it allowed the bakers in the UK to prove a loaf in half the time that was twice the size. So yeah. they could make more in less time. But so it caused other problems. Of it course. caused other problems. Yeah. Climate change, for example. How yeah. many layers of the issue of climate change occur yes. from are we going to just fix the problem by building electric cars? Yeah, I mean, but nobody... actually, that doesn't solve the problem because what about the limited finite sources and what do we do with the batteries once they're done? Once they're done. So it's about looking at the problem and going, okay, are we prepared to actually consider the longer-term impact of what we do? Yes, for example, in addressing the shortage of meat around the world, we're burning the rainforest down <laughs> to, you know, for cattle and so on. So the person who's doing that is thinking, I'm, trying to, I'm really solving a problem from their point of view. But we often need to just pause and ask ourselves, what's the long-term consequences? You might win the argument, for example, with your son or your partner. Correct. But you might lose the war. You might lose that relationship. You might use your authority in an organization to force something through. But what are the long-term implications of that? So just to ask yourself, what is this solution I'm proposing going to create a problem down the line? And what is that? But that takes um, an open-mindedness. It takes uh, enlightenment. Empathy is a word we use a lot. Um, if, we're, if we're genuinely only interested in ourselves, right, and we're not interested in everybody else around us, and that's on a one-on-one -on -one basis or even on a more collective basis, that we actually care about what we have. Um, the risk is that we don't solve the problem at all. We create more issues yes. and then... We look back in 50 years or 100 years' time and we go, mm, we shouldn't have done that. No. and Well, there's so many examples in society, given where we are. But you raised an interesting point, perhaps, for us to end on, which is the mind is always occupied with itself, isn't it? Oh, full of distractions. <laughs> you know, we're always thinking about ourselves or our emotional distress or our whatever it might be. So there's no space in our thinking to even consider the other person's point of view. But we have had that moment in the last 18 months where we've had a great pause. With the COVID-19. With yes. the COVID-19. Rather than, you know, calling it a big lockdown and we've been constrained and restricted. There's been huge positive things come out of that time for pausing and reflection. Yes. And a little bit of breathing space um, that's allowed us to do that. So, so being somebody who looks for the positive in everything, I see great opportunity and I'm excited about the future. Yeah, so. but Alistair, it's been a real pleasure. To, no, thank you very uh, much. And I've really enjoyed our conversation and hopefully our viewers have been left with some questions to ponder when they encounter a problem. So this podcast came to you from the Human Wisdom Project. You can find out more about the project and the Human Wisdom app and visit humanwisdom.be. Thank you for listening.